I think we live in a society where we've deemed everyone either an oppressor or oppressed. Um, and there are certain qualifications that make someone an oppressor. Being a, a, cis, a cis white male, um, your prime material for an oppressor. And so I think people would rather be oppressed than an oppressor because when you're oppressed, you typically have, or when you're, yeah, when you're oppressed, you typically have less accountability, less responsibility, which we seem to live in a society where people want that. They don't want to be responsible for anything or held accountable for anything. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Born Primitive podcast. Uh, we are super excited for this episode. Um, this is something we, we teased a few weeks ago and something that I've really been looking forward to. Um, we have somebody on here today who I think is an inspiration, an incredible young woman, a very accomplished young woman, uh, and someone I believe has put a lot on the line to stand up for something that I don't feel should be controversial. And... Um, so without further ado, further ado, uh, we are uh, honored to have Riley Gaines on the podcast. I want to give a quick bio on her. Uh, swam at University of Kentucky. She's an absolute stud. First team All-SEC, five SEC titles. She got second place nationally, and to top it off, she was a 12 times All-American. So let that sink in. And for those that have ever been around swimmers in, in the lifestyle that they have to live, you know, I, you know, I was a football player, Tony, you were football, baseball, et cetera. You all, Riley, have works, in my opinion, so much harder. You're getting in the pool early in the morning, like five o'clock in the morning. I know what it feels like diving into that cold pool when you're all dry. And then you guys go back later for another like 20,000 yards. And it's, I mean, you guys are doing this since you're five, six years old. And I think that will become relevant later in this podcast because I want to, I want to provide that context for what some of these women who are competing at the collegiate level that have been training for their entire life maybe had gotten robbed of despite a lifetime of effort uh, and sacrifice when maybe their friends were sleeping in and eating Cheerios at breakfast and you guys were in the <laughs> pool getting your yards in. So Riley, without further ado, thank you so much for joining the Born Primitive Podcast. Well, I could not be more excited to be on the podcast. I wish I was with you guys in person, um, but your introduction was so kind. And again, I, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. So thank you guys. So Riley, I want to get right into it. Um, I want to fast forward. Um, obviously, I, I already gave your accolades, but to the national championship uh, for for women swimming, um, and kind of walk me through. You know, some of the viewers, listeners might be tracking, but just give us the quick synopsis of what went down, and you know, kind of what transpired from there. Absolutely. And first of all, you're exactly right. Um, most of us, all of us, pretty much. I mean, we've been swimming since we were four, or five, six years old. So to say it's a lifelong journey, that's it really is an understatement. It's impossible to put into words, as you mentioned, the amount of time and dedication and sacrifices that you have to make to compete and be successful at the highest level. Um, but of course, we were willing to do that. We were willing to do whatever it took. And so um, college experience was nothing short of crazy anyways, being a college athlete during the times of COVID, which robbed us of an NCAA championships my sophomore year. Um COVID hit, of course, in March of 2020. We were supposed to leave for our NCAA championships in March of 2020. So about three days before we were supposed to leave, our coaches, you know, we got sent home, all of that. Um, so we were robbed in that way. And so junior year, we come back, my junior year, and I ultimately this year, I ended up placing seventh in the country, um, which was a pretty high honor. You know, you're top eight, you're an All-American. Um, it's a pretty high achievement. But I knew right then and there that I placed seventh that my senior year, I had this goal of becoming a national champion, which would, of course, mean becoming the fastest female in the country in my respective event. And I was right on pace to do that. Um, about midway through my senior year, I was ranked third in the country um, behind one amazing female swimmer who I knew very well. Uh, I was, you know, trailing behind her maybe a couple hundredths, a couple tenths of a second. Um, and I knew her very well because like in most sports, your top tier athletes, you know of each other. Um, regardless of where you're competing in the country. And so she was in second. But this person who was ranked first, I'd never heard of. And there was a lot of red flags. Um, this person, this is the first time I became aware of a swimmer named Leah Thomas. They were a senior. They were from University of Pennsylvania, which is not a school that historically produces fast swimmers. 
Um, they were leading the country by body lengths in multiple events ranging from sprint freestyle events like the 100 freestyle and all of the freestyle events in between until the mile. And so if you think about this, for those of you who don't necessarily understand swimming, this is like saying your best 200 meter Olympic runner is your best marathon Olympic runner. Uh, they're, they're totally different systems that that doesn't happen, but that's what we were seeing again in this person. And so again, head scratching, talking to my coaches and my teammates, my family, who is this person? And we had no idea. I was even trying to look up, um, there's this database called USA Swimming where you can look up time progression. So if you were to look up the name Riley Gaines, you would see my times from when I was eight years old and how I've progressed um, all the way through when I was 22. And so I'm looking up this name, Leah Thomas, and there's no history of this person until that season. And so again, none of it made sense until an article came out disclosing very briefly that Leah Thomas is formerly Will Thomas and swam three years on the men's team at University of Pennsylvania before deciding to switch to the women's team. And so when I read this, I was so shocked. Of course, I was shocked. Um, but really, I felt this sense of relief. And I say I felt relief because I went back to that same database and I looked up who Will Thomas was because I was curious more than anything. Um, it was it was kind of this sense of intriguement. OK, was this person leading the country when competing against the men? Was this a lateral movement? Which, of course, we saw that this was not. Uh, we saw that this was a mediocre man at best, ranking 462nd the year prior when competing against the men to again now dominating the entire country when competing against the women. But that's, again, why I say I, I felt relief, because I thought the NCAA would see it how I saw it and how my teammates saw it and my parents and my coaches and how anyone with really any amount of brain activity would probably comprehend this. Um, but the NCAA did not see it that way. They saw nothing wrong with it. Um, and so they had announced about three weeks before our national championships in March of 2022 that Thomas's swimming with the women was a non-negotiable. And so to that was, I guess, a, a buildup to answer your question of what this looked like and really how I got here. Because I watched on the pool deck that first day. Um, I, I don't I didn't do any events the first day. This meet is multiple days long. And so my events were towards the end of the week. Um, this first day was the 500 freestyle, which is an event that Thomas swam. And I watched on the side of the pool as Thomas swam to a national title, becoming the first male to win a Division I NCAA women's NCAA title, um, again, beating Olympians, beating American record holders, beating the most impressive female swimmers this world has ever seen, again, by body lengths. Even the time Thomas went last year in the 500 would have beat every female in the country this year by body lengths. Um, so that was the first day. And then the second day was the 200 freestyle, which was the event that Thomas and I raced in. And so we swam prelims in the morning. You have to qualify top 16 to come back that evening. We both qualified top eight, meaning we were both in the championship final. Um, we come back that evening. We race. We touch the wall. And almost impossibly enough, we had gone the exact same time down to the hundredth of a second, meaning, you know, we raced for a minute and 40 seconds and not even one one hundredth separated us. And so we get out of the water and we go behind the awards podium where the NCAA official looks at both Thomas and myself, Thomas, who is six foot four and towering over me and says, great job, you two. Uh, but you guys tied and we only have one trophy. So sorry, Riley, we are giving this trophy to Leah. You have to go home empty handed. And I remember being so taken aback by this. Um, and there was a lot of feelings. My my adrenaline was high. My heart rate was still high from the race. Um, I felt so frustrated. I felt confused. Um, but really, I think the best way to describe how I felt was betrayed. And I asked the question that really no one dared ask all season. I mean, we asked it. We asked it amongst ourselves. We whispered it amongst ourselves. But I said out loud, why? Why are you adamant on giving the trophy in the women's 200 freestyle to a man? Um, you know, I know we tied, I know we don't necessarily account for ties, but can you at least answer the question of why? And he couldn't, um, they didn't give him a script of what to say when, when this happens. Um, and so he kind of looked really flustered and, uh, he stumbled on his words and he tried to spout out this excuse of, oh, well, we're just doing this chronologically to which I further questioned. Okay. G comes before T. So what are you being chronological about? 
to which then his face visibly changed and he looked saddened like he his eyes sunk in and I could tell he didn't even believe what he was about to say. And he looked at me and he said, Riley, I'm sorry, but we've been advised when pictures are being taken that Leah has to have the trophy. Again, you can pose with this one, but you have to give yours back. You go home empty handed. Leah takes the trophy home. End of story. And so it was really right then and there when that happened. Of course, I knew we all knew all season what was happening in regards to the unfair competition and the locker room and the silencing. We knew all of that was wrong. Of course we did. But it wasn't until this official reduced everything that we had worked our entire lives for, as you mentioned, our entire lives for, down to a photo op to validate the feelings and the identity of a male. It wasn't until that happened that I realized I could no longer sit to the side and wait for someone else to speak up because I was. I thought surely a coach would. I thought surely someone's dad would speak out about a man in our locker room. I thought surely someone with political power would say something. Some other swimmer, someone who was supposed to be protecting us would surely protect us. But I I remember standing on the podium holding this trophy that I know I have to give back. And let me reiterate, I could have cared less about the tangible object of the trophy, okay? I'm a 12-time All-American. Those trophies, they're probably $5 to produce. It wasn't about the, the, the object of the trophy. It was the principle behind it. But I remember standing on the podium, sharing it with, again, someone who's six foot four, towering over me at a mere five foot six, knowing I have to give this trophy back. And this realization hit me. How could we stand on this podium? We're smiling. We're applauding. How could we expect someone else to step in and save us if we're not even willing to save ourselves? This has to come from us. And so, again, that's the kind of simplified but still long version of what really thrusted me into this position um, and how I saw what was at stake and how I could just no longer sit back and idly watch as we as women were collateral damage. Wow. Well, thank you for recapping that. Um, a few thoughts. One, kind of for the listeners, I think we all would agree that we fully support, I think a person should be able to pursue their own version of happiness, right? So if, if you want to do these things, you know, I think all of reasonable people would say, hey, that's fine. Do your thing. Love who you want to love, etc." However, as soon as your pursuit of happiness gets in the way of other people's happiness, it becomes a much more complicated conversation, right? And in this case, it was a blatant infringement on a bunch of young women who had worked their whole lives for a goal to get to nearly the pinnacle of the sport. Obviously, the Olympics would, would be that. But you guys were one notch down below, which is an incredible achievement in the most elite swimmers in the country. And to take someone who has clearly a physiological advantage, it's indisputable. I mean, even just like the, the mechanics of propulsion, hands, feet, six foot four, limb length, you know what I mean? Lung capacity, uh, lung which is capacity. so important in swimming. You, you even said the, the, the circumference of like your, your throat to be able to get air and all that. Like it's, 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 it's indisputable. And I don't even want to get into the, that argument because it's dumb to even consider it, right? We all know that. Right. It's not that men are superior to women. It's just that is one thing that for whatever reason, that's just how it is. And, and we, shouldn't, we should not debate that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but from like watching the Olympics, like the, the, the 200 freestyle, like that's the big boys. That's the sprinters. These are the guys that are 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, pre-stacked up, and it's a sprint. Exactly. It's all power, right? Exactly. And, and then, yes. and, how, and how tall are you? <laughs> I'm five foot six, which is short for yeah. even five, a female six. swimmer. So you're, yeah. you're you're on the blocks next to a guy who's six foot four, probably huge feet, huge hands, uh, longer legs, of course, all of that, and and he's still tied, which is incredible. Um, so like we have to put that in perspective. And going back to the you know, um. Thomas winning the national championship in the 500. Imagine that second place athlete, that, that female that had been working her whole life, right? And maybe she didn't win a national championship her junior year, you know what I mean? Or I don't know if she was a senior when, when this happened, but and, and maybe that was her senior year and, and that was the one chance she had and she went all in on this. This was her only goal to, to, to get that and she gets dethroned from that opportunity because of this ridiculous thing that occurred and then of course in your case obviously the fiasco at the podium and the trophy thing which i think um you know you you 
phrased it so well. It wasn't about the trophy, right? It was about the principle right. of what was happening. And you were kind of standing there like, all right, is no one going to stand up for this? And uh, it, to me, it's just, it's crazy because, you know, I, I went to an Ivy League school and, you know, Thomas went to UPenn, which is an Ivy League school as well. And, and there is some crazy, crazy politics at that school. I mean, when I walked in there, I'm just a everyday dude from the Midwest. So when I got there my freshman year, I'm like, what world is this? Um, and uh, so I wasn't surprised that UPenn was pushing this and they, they were telling the girls like, you cannot, you know, say anything. He's going to change in the locker room. You know, if you want to go change in the stall, it's fine. And we'll give you resources to become more aware of, you know, transgender resources, and all this, like that's such an Ivy league response. I rolled my eyes when I read it because I, you know, saw a lot of that when I was at Yale. Right. Um, but to me, the thing I'm scratching my head on is where are all the feminists, right? Like <laughs> all the, all of a sudden, isn't the whole idea to protect women's rights. And now someone who's not a woman is getting basically preference over actual women. So like, Maybe I'm missing something, but can you explain to me what their thought process, where are all those Ivy League women that, you know, were <laughs> protesting on campus and doing all these things like in the name of like women's rights? Where have they I, been? Where are the I, where are the congressmen and women who, you know, on, on, on the Democratic side? Like, what am I missing? When I find out, I will let you know, because I have been asking myself this question. It's so ironic it's almost comical. It, it would be comical if women weren't getting exploited and, and hurt and um, totally violated in the process. It would be comical, the juxtaposition of exactly what's happening. And I often ask myself the question of where are the feminists? Where are the people like Billie Jean King, who was a trailblazer for women's sports? We essentially, she played in the battle of the sexes. She won. We essentially have her to accredit Title IX to in the 1970s. And I can tell you where she is now. She's actively fighting for male inclusion in women's sports and women's spaces now. It doesn't make sense. I don't know how these women don't understand that they're undermining everything they once fought for. Don't even get me started on Megan Rapinoe, someone who prides herself on fighting for equal pay and equal access and equal resources and equal resources and all of those those different things for women, to which she's succeeded in a lot of those areas. Um, she was. Again, there's I won't comment on how we view other things differently, but on this topic, she was someone who fought for women. And now what she's doing, of course, now that she's done playing and that she's retiring and that she doesn't have a daughter to defend, she's actively fighting for men to take away those opportunities that gave her the platform that she now has. Um, to answer your question about the politicians, Oh, my goodness, if you were to only see how politicians voted and watch what's happening in the news, on the media, you would think that this issue is really divisive and falls entirely on party lines. But let me tell you something that's really special. This issue is not divisive. This issue is actually a unifying issue. The overwhelming majority of the general public, it can and does acknowledge how this, as it pertains to sports, um, it has gone too far. The pendulum has swung too far. Um, every Gallup poll shows that over 70% of Americans think this way. And it's not because it's not just something that affects conservatives or Republicans or even female athletes. It's it's the overwhelming majority of the public. And so even how Democrat politicians are voting, again, the people who once prided themselves on being champions for women um, and, and women's sex-based rights and protections and different things, they are, we have become pawns in their political game, which is a pretty unfortunate position to be in. Um, and these politicians, their mothers, their fathers, they have young daughters of their own and they're being a total sellout. Um, if you can really look me in the eye, if they can really look me in the eye and tell me that they would be totally okay with their young daughter undressing next to a fully grown and intact male exposing himself inches away from where she's undressing really you would be okay with that can you look your daughter in the eye and really say that that's something you'd be willing to expose her to because i can tell you how my my dad responded um and it was not kindly when i called him and told him especially about the locker room scenario um my dad had the reaction that i would imagine most dads would he wanted to come down there and and handle it himself 
Um, to which I had to say, you know, dad, we already have one man in the locker room. We don't need two. And I don't want to see you behind bars. Um, but I think that begs the question of just as much uh, or just as often as we ask ourselves the question of where are the feminists, I think we should be asking ourselves the question of where are the men? Um, this conversation, it's fallen kind of entirely on the shoulders of young girls like myself being 21 years old at the time. I didn't know how to handle this. I didn't know how to make impact. I didn't know how to how to adequately use my voice. This wasn't something I or, or really ever anyone could prepare for. Um, I had graduated college with my degree in human health sciences and health law and had every intent upon graduation to go to dental school. Um, I had already accepted my seat. I put my deposit down. I was ready to pursue endodontics, which is root canals, weirdly enough. And I think, honestly, what I'm doing now is more painful than a root canal. Um, but anyways, all of that to say, we need strong men. Um, we need men to fulfill their biblical role, which is to protect and provide. Um, we're seeing too many men cave, too many men waver. Um, not to say that we as women need men to defend us, but I, I do think that we've gotten to a point where we have really weak men. Um, and there's a saying, it's hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times. And it's incredibly interesting because you can see this cycle play out throughout history. Um, and there's, I think the last time we had a society full of strong men was in the 1940s during World War II. And I saw this thing the other day and it, it kind of cracked me up. It said in the 1940s, we had men who lied about their age to enlist in the draft. And now we have men lying about their sex to get into women's sports. And I thought that was pretty indicative of how we're in the part of the process now where weak men have created hard times which we can only hope that these hard times garner strong men. Um, but we need to expedite this process as much as possible. That's good stuff on so many levels. Let me tell you something, Riley. I know you pose the question, where are the men? And I think the men are going to start showing up. I really do. I think so too. Um, and you're looking at, well, I could speak for myself. I don't know about Tony, but you're looking at one of them right now. I was talking before we went, we went on air. It's like, you know, two new girl dads. And as I look at this, you know, as this evolves, if this is going on when, when my daughter is that age, I'm going to be coming through those doors like a damn silverback gorilla. Um, I will be, you know what I mean? Like that's, there's no way, there's no, absolutely no way a biological male will be changing in a locker room with full genitalia in a, allegedly, correct me if I'm wrong, but the UPenn girls were saying he was still actively hooking up with women. Like, so it's right. like, it's almost like, is this a mockery? Is this a joke that, you know what I mean? Like, clearly maybe yeah. you're not all in on this transition and an opportunity to get some fame, probably some book deal. I would imagine win the national championship, like who knows what the real motive is here, uh, run for Congress, be the, you know what I mean? Like who, right. um, and so I have a totally different perspective now because you are right as men, we are, it's, it's biological that we want to protect particularly, you know, right. like, a, a, you know, our, off, our, our offspring, particularly a little girl, um, the, the women were around. And uh, it is um, a little bit disheartening that I think a lot of us have taken the bait of accepting the fact that if you speak out, you're going to be labeled as a bigot and this and that. So you'd rather just stay out of it. And it took somebody like you, um, and I hate to say that, for us to all realize, like, hey, what the hell are we doing? Why are we afraid to take a stance on such an obvious issue? Like you said, it's not political. It shouldn't be. If they're making, right. if it's, if, if they're saying it's political, that's them just playing that game. And that's why, you know, when we created this podcast, we kind of said, hey, we don't want to like bug people with politics too much because we want this to be a podcast about people being able to take something away to make their lives better, whether it's in human performance, being an entrepreneur, nutrition, you know, anything kind of in, in the wheel is fair game. And hey, we get enough divisive politics on TV, so let's maybe stay totally. away from it. But when this came up, I was like, this is not politics. This is common sense stuff, and we all need to rally behind this or you know, the, we, we might be on a slippery slope and you know, 10 years from now, we're going to say, what the hell happened? How did we get there? So, yeah, Certainly, and I, I think that's how we got here is because for too long, we kind of were in the dark and stayed silent about different things. But I, I agree with the term of slippery slope. Um, and it has to make you wonder, okay, if we're allowing this, if we're denying the most basic of truths, right? The essence of humanity, man and woman, what are you going to ask us to deny next? 
And and that's kind of a grim thought, really. It, it's pretty Orwellian if you think of, you know, the book 1984 and this idea of of groupthink and groupspeak and all of those those different things and where they're trying to make them say two plus two is five. Again, not to be this conspiracist, but but that's kind of what's happening here where they're asking us to deny man and woman. That's like saying denying the sky is blue. And so it has to make you at least wonder what's next. And again, um, I think that's ultimately how we got to the point we're at now. But I totally agree with you that people are waking up um, more and more people daily, I think, are feeling emboldened and empowered and inspired to speak the truth. And I think now more than ever, people are looking for alternatives. Um, I think as as a whole, especially as women, really, we tend to be agreeable. We tend to avoid conflict and, and you know, we're emotionally driven and all of those different things. But I think now more than ever, people are looking for alternatives, whether that's alternatives, different places to put your money. I mean, we saw what happened to Bud Light. Uh, we saw what happened to Target. We see the direction that other sporting apparel companies like Nike are going and people are fed up. But they don't have an alternative, really. They're, I don't think that space has necessarily been created until recently. And then you have people like you guys, companies and organizations who are understanding, again, what's at stake and that they don't want to be silent, that they want to do something, that they want to put their money where it matches their values. And so that's why I think you guys are so incredible and so special. And I think people, again, are, are seeing this more daily. Riley, where do you where does this rhetoric stem from, in your opinion? Like, because I I know myself am guilty of, and and you'd both have kind of touched on it. Five years ago, you start to hear whisperings of these things, and in my head, it's like, hey, common sense. This is this is just another phase we're going through. This will in in two years, nobody will be talking about this, or in the next news cycle, nobody will be talking about this. But to then hear your story, for you to be at the NCAA championships in a, a official for the NCAA say that to you that like hey i've been told she needs to hold the trophy and then like you said we're seeing now bigger and bigger corporations get involved with this where where in your opinion as somebody who's about as close to these issues as you could be where do you think this is stemming from and how did it pick up so much momentum well my my initial reaction being a christian i entirely see this as spiritual warfare um meaning that Look, we knew this was going to happen. The Bible tells us we will live in a time where our yeses are noes and our noes are yeses. Um, but the beautiful piece of that is we know we know who wins. Um, I think the worldly answer as to why this is happening. Companies, organizations, because again, it's bigger than just sports, right? We're, we see corporate America. We see academia. We see even federally funded places like prisons or domestic violence shelters. They don't follow red or blue. These places follow green. Uh, they follow the money. They're terrified of losing federal funds. Um, they're terrified of lawsuits. They're terrified of being hit where it hurts, which is your pockets. And so they will do anything to, I think ESG is a big part of this. And so I think a lot of it is stemmed um, because of money and how to not lose that, how to get more money. Um, I, I think that's a big piece of it. A lot of it is is virtue signaling. Um, people want to be seen, and naturally, understandably so, people want to be seen as kind and compassionate and inclusive and tolerant and accepting and all of those things because those those terms sound, in theory, great. Who wouldn't want to be those things? I want to be those things. But I'll be the first to say it is not inclusive to allow a man to stand on our podium taking our titles, our roster spots, our scholarships, that's not inclusive. That's exclusive to the very female athletes who Title IX was created to protect. And it's not kind or compassionate to ask a young girl to undress in front of, again, a grown and intact man. That's not kind. That's the exact opposite. Um, and so I, I think people have a skewed perception of what these words really mean. And so me, myself, I constantly refer back to this term of true love and what that really means and how those terms are synonymous, truth and love. It is loving to say the truth. That is what love is, to affirm anything that is not true, to affirm a delusion or a lie. That's the exact opposite of love. 
Um, and I think that's what we're seeing a lot of. And so if we lay all of this out for what it is um, in regards to the changing of the language even that we use, notice how, and we've even done it on this podcast, we're referring to ourselves as biological men and biological women, which I adhered to this for so long because it's true. I am a biological female, but I had this realization maybe two, three weeks ago. And I, it hit me. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I calling myself a biological female as if there's an unbiological alternative? I don't have to say that. I, I'm just a female. I don't think people realize how much power there is in language. Even small things like that, it's subtly giving them, and when I say them, I mean the opposition, people who are denying reality, it's subtly get, giving them power that they shouldn't really have. And so in the changing of the language, the denying of objective truth, of biblical truth, of biological reality, the silencing um, that we dealt with. And, and when I say we, I mean female athletes, but it's bigger than that, right? Parents who are scared to defend their daughters because they don't want to lose their, their job, coaches who are terrified to defend their athletes. Um, so the, the silencing, the breakdown of family, the breakdown of faith, the breakdown of our freedoms, such as freedom of speech, not to mention other things that are going on outside of this issue, like the taking of the guns and the vaccines and different things. Um, if you lay this out for exactly what it is, it's textbook Marxism. Um, and you can open any textbook and see how that turns out for any civilization. And it's not pretty. And again, not to be grim, not to be kind of this scary, daunting voice in your head that's this doomsday figure. That's not what I'm trying to do, but I'm just trying to point it out to people. Look at what, look at, talk to the people from North Korea or China or Russia or Germany or Cuba or Venezuela or Brazil and see what they say about the beginning stages of where we are. And it goes back to that term of a slippery slope. Um, and so I think there's a lot of different pieces to this. Another reason as to why I, I think we live in a society where we've deemed everyone either an oppressor or oppressed. Um, and there are certain qualifications that make someone an oppressor. Being a, a, cis, a cis white male, um, your prime material for an oppressor. And so I think people would rather be oppressed than an oppressor because when you're oppressed, you typically have or when you're yeah, when you're oppressed, you typically have less accountability, less responsibility, which we seem to live in a society where people want that. They don't want to be responsible for anything or held accountable for anything. So there's a lot of different pieces as to why. But again, the bigger picture of why I think I think it's entirely spiritual. Hey, everybody, just want to interrupt the podcast real quick to plug our new Savage One training shoe, which just launched. This is something we're really excited about. I just wanted to quickly go over some of the technical features. Wide toe box. Uh, there is a four millimeter drop on this shoe. The tread on the bottom of the shoe is specifically designed for linear and lateral traction, as you can see. Uh, the insole uh, is a dual molded insole, meaning the, uh, the back half of the insole uh, is more firm and on the front of the insole, it is more cushiony. Um, so if you're accelerating, jumping, that sort of thing, you'll get more cushion. And if you're doing back squats, things like that, there's, it's a more denser foam in the back, which is really cool. The upper uh, is mesh knit, so it'll be very breathable. Um, you have this heel stabilizer in the back that wraps around the ankle um, for additional lateral stability. Just overall, guys, we are really excited about this. This has been um, in production for about two years. We've gone through tons of iterations, and the best width, probably shoe I can compare it to, if I had to, would probably be a Nano 2, but just a little bit more technical um, and a little bit more stable. And I love the Nano 2, um, but you know, while I loved wearing it, I don't, I didn't feel like it was, it was a technical shoe. And so we wanted to kind of take it, beef that up a little bit and also incorporate some other components of some things we wanted to see. So if you're in the market for uh, new performance footwear, check out the Savage one at bornprimitive.com. And I think to add to that very well put by the way, um, is the dynamic of kind of the cancel culture. And I've, I've given a lot of thought about over this. It's like, all right, why is something so obvious? Does, does it not have more dissenting thought like public, on public forums, right? Like, why don't we see more of like people like you? And it's, there is a huge risk of speaking out because of the dynamic, particularly of social media, right? 
It's like, yeah. you know, let's say you're someone that's got 5 million followers and that's how you make all of your money. You support your family that way. You, you know, you, you've gained a following through fitness platform or whatever it is. Right. And you know, the second you post something like this, your reach goes down a hundred percent overnight. You're not going to be able to monetize your posts anymore. You're getting, you're going to get shadow banned. So the people that should be vocal that have the, like, the actual reach on social media refuse to do it. And I honestly, in a way, I don't blame them if that's how they make their living because right. it's like, all right, well, what am I going to do? Because literally old boy Zuckerberg can just hit that switch and guess what? You're off. Right. Exactly. Um, and thank God for Elon Musk with Twitter now, because hopefully that balances out. Same things are true on Facebook. This has happened to us a few times over non-controversial things. You know, we, we, you know, launched a Don't Tread on Me shirt. You know, that goes back to the American Revolution, naval heritage. When I was in the Navy, that's a, that's a patch we wear on our uniform. That's a sanctioned symbol, right? And they've, you know, oh, it's, it's insensitive, this and that. Well, that's a bunch of bullshit. As soon as we launched that, guess what? Our reach on Instagram was nothing for months. Then we come to Veterans Day, last Veterans Day. Every year on Veterans Day, we donate 100% of our profits for that weekend, Friday through Sunday, to veteran charities, right? So we did our big post Friday morning announcing it. Hey, it's live. It was a video. I was speaking to it. And guess what? Five minutes after it gets posted, our Instagram is shut down. Out of nowhere. Shut down. We're, and we give Instagram and Facebook millions of dollars, millions, an outrageous amount of money every year in advertising dollars. And I'm calling our rep saying, what is going on? Like, this is our biggest moment of the year. It's Veterans Day. This is a big part of our company. And they're like, oh, you know, and it took them, I think, until 4 p.m. to turn it back on. I was raising an absolute fit. And it's like, oh, because I'm donating to a veteran charity, and like <laughs> you're going to literally act like you accidentally shut down our account. Um, even with um, on, on this podcast chart, Spotify, we were it was really cool. The first few weeks or first week we were climbing in the charts. We broke into the top 50 business podcasts in the first 24 hours. And by day three, we were in the top 25 and we were climbing. We were like four below Barstool Sports podcast. Pretty cool. And then we did a podcast with Dave Castro and he mentioned COVID-19, which literally by me saying that right now, I probably just screwed ourselves for this podcast. Um, and uh, we were already screwed. Yeah, we're already screwed. You're right. So let's just go with it. Um, and Dave mentioned, you know, how we should embrace fitness as a way to combat COVID-19. Not controversial at all. It was around kind of healthy lifestyle and like, hey, this is something we should consider, especially if this thing comes around again, which hopefully it doesn't. And just by that being mentioned alone, they, they removed us from the charts. Like they were just gone, you know, and we were climbing up. So not that that matters to me because I still know we're getting a bunch of downloads and it's, it's still killing, but just that it's those little things, right? So the people that have something to lose are more hesitant to speak out. You know what I mean? So instead, you know, you're speaking about it at the barbecue and at the, you know, you're in, in, in closed settings, you're, you're willing to speak out. But anytime it becomes public, everyone, you know, shuts the hell up and they're too afraid. So that's why it's particularly inspiring for, for somebody like you, because I know you have a lot to lose, particularly you got accepted into the dental school and you're doing that deal, which is incredible. Um, and, you know, for us as a brand, we've had to wrestle with that because for me, we got 75 employees, we got distributors all over the world. I have to take that into account because that scares me. You know, what if I say something and then we get canceled on Instagram and all of a sudden I have to lay people off because I wanted to, you know, speak my viewpoints. And it kind of came to the, you know, to the point where I'm just like, you know what, as long as we're respectful to the other viewpoint and we can articulate why we feel this way and it's not, you know, abrasive, we got to stop being afraid to, 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 to talk about who we are. You know what I mean? And, and that's Absolutely. Uh, hopefully when people look at other brands, the Nikes, the Lululemons of the world, <laughs> there will be a good alternative for a company that, that actually resonates with their values and isn't afraid to project that. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we're trying to create, I think, in this new chapter of Born Primitive. I think so far, just from the podcast, we've had crazy good feedback from people being like, hell yeah, you know, finally someone's willing to step up. But I'm a little ashamed that it took us damn near 10 years to do that, honestly. Well, I think that's it, it's a journey, um, not to be cliche, but it really is. Even for myself, I waited all season. Um, I, I thought someone else would. I, I didn't think it was necessary because, as you mentioned previously, too, it's kind of like live and let live, you know, do what you want to do. It took me being directly impacted before I realized, okay, I don't want to see other people directly impacted in the same way that we were. And so I think you guys taking a stand, as I mentioned, I think it's a really strong move, not just not just because it's the right thing to do, in my opinion. Um, but I, I think it's a strong move business wise because people 
are fed up. People are rolling up their sleeves and they're saying enough is enough, but they want somewhere to go. They want a list of companies to to avoid, companies that are either taking funding from places that don't match their values or, or outwardly supporting these things. People are, are have had enough. Um, and so I couldn't be more appreciative of what you guys are doing, not just this, of course, um, but how you support the troops. Can you imagine that's something that's controversial? Um, same thing with this topic, same thing with the movie Sound of Freedom. I look at this and I, it just makes me mind blown that we're living in a time where saying child sex trafficking is is wrong that's now deemed controversial by some it's crazy um so i couldn't be more grateful for the sand you guys are taking and how you're being outward about it um and, and just being firm i i think regardless of what people believe whichever side whichever whichever side of the political spectrum you fall on um i think we need more leaders we need more people to be unwavering. That being said, I don't think we should have people who are unwilling to admit when they're wrong, but we need more people to stand firm in what they think, regardless of the consequences. And so you guys doing that, it's inspiring for me. And I know for so many others as well. And Riley, as you kind of stepped up as the figurehead and, and, and decided to speak out, how have you been through this whirlwind? How have you stayed grounded? How I'm sure there's been some ups, some downs, some questioning on your end. How how has this journey been for you? And I know that's kind of a loaded question, but I would love to hear being thrust from an NCAA athlete to all of a sudden the figurehead of a women's rights movement. So yeah, how how have you stayed grounded throughout that if you have and and would love to hear how that journey's been? Yeah, it's been a lot. It's been a lot of adapting. It's been a lot of learning because, as I mentioned, this is never something I could have known this fear, known how to operate. I didn't have any background in, of course, not public speaking, of course, not in any kind of um, civil courses where you you talk about the government and different things. I I didn't know. Um, I don't. I still half the time don't really know what I'm doing. Um, so it's been a lot of learning to roll with the punches and truth be told, I mean that literally. Um, I've been attacked. I have been assaulted. I have been held for ransom by protesters for over four hours where these protesters, hundreds of them, they demanded that I had to pay them money if I wanted to make it home to see my family safely again. And so it's been a lot of understanding, trying to get to the root of the problem, asking myself the question of why my, my wheels are constantly turning. Because rather than just talking about this, rather than just going on podcasts and the news and different things and complaining, I say complaining because that that's how it might sound to other people. I want to make impact. I want to do something. I, I don't want to be one of those people who just talks about it being a problem and then not come up with a solution. And so I have spent a large portion of my time traveling state to state. Um, advocating on behalf of these bills being put forward, um, these these protect women sports bills um, at the state level, at the federal level, doing everything I can to combat the rewrite of Title IX that the administration in the White House right now is actively working to rewrite, which would dismantle women's sports um, entirely more than it's, it's broader than even just women's sports. Um, working alongside specific sport governing bodies to create policy changes um, I've been involved in the FINA, which is the International Governing Body of Swimming, the FINA Policy Change, World Athletics, which is track and field, um, cycling, powerlifting, even most recently the World Chess Association, which I think is kind of um, interesting. Um, I've been involved in all of those. I have worked in, I, there are now 23 states that have passed some sort of fairness in women's sports bill, four states that have passed a bill that I have helped them introduce called the Women's Bill of Rights. And what this bill is, is a law that defines the word woman. Now, most recently, I was just in Nebraska with Jordy Ball, who I imagine everyone listening to this podcast knows she's so amazing. Oh, my goodness. She um, the softball player from Oklahoma who has now just transferred back to Nebraska. Um, we met with Governor Pillen of Nebraska and had asked him to sign an executive order on the Women's Bill of Rights. Again, a law that defines the word woman. Can you believe that we need that? Um, we met with him on August 27th and on August 30th, he signed it into effect. And I thought it was really awesome in the way that he did it because he did it on the same day 
that Nebraska volleyball played Omaha uh, and they had the they broke the world record for attendance at a women's sporting event. Ninety two thousand and three people there to watch women's sports, uh, this volleyball game. And Governor Pillen signed this into effect on the same day, which was which was strategic on his part. Um, He did this to send a message and that message that he was sending to us as women, really us as people, it's that we matter. We as women, our privacy, our safety, our equal opportunities, our dignity, our feelings, our mental health, all of those words they love to use, that matters. Because the opposite of that message is being sent by the people leading this country right now. The administration in the White House, they're sending us the exact opposite message. And it's that we don't matter. Um, So to get leaders, whether that's state leaders, national leaders, community leaders, um, to make positive change, that's what I'm dedicated to. And that's what I'm really going to be continued, um, continually dedicated to in the future. Um, I have a little sister who's an amazing athlete who actually just just bought some born primitive clothing and she's so excited. Um, She's a Tennessee state champion in gymnastics. She's probably the best athlete of my whole family. And I come from a family of athletes, professional and college athletes. My dad was an NFL player. My mom, she played softball, all my family. Um, And she's probably the best of us all. And I can't imagine being in the position that I'm in now and not fighting for her. Um, I I just got married a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago, and I can only hope one day that I'm fortunate enough to have a daughter of my own, like both of you two who have young daughters, and I can't imagine not fighting for her. And so that's what this is about. It's not about me. Oh my goodness, I'm done playing sports now. Um, I, I still compete. I still run and do triathlons and different things, but I'm done with competitive swimming. No one wants to see me swim. I'd probably drown now. So it's certainly not about me. But it's about that next generation. It's about the women who came before me, who fought relentlessly for Title IX. And it's, of course, about the women who, the present female athletes, who, again, are effectively silenced, and rightfully so. They're terrified. Um, This is who we're fighting for by by standing for this. Have you been encouraged, Riley, as you, I mean... You're no longer just talking to dum dums like Bear and I. You're you're sitting in front of uh, the Senate. You're talking to governors, like you said. Are and I'm sure there there's a mix of both. But overall, are you encouraged by the conversations you're having or you're having these people in higher positions their their viewpoints on it? Because once again, there's almost the deniability on my end as to like the last couple of years of not getting involved in this. Is that any conversation I have with a reasonable person, it even if there's a slight disagreement, it's an easy conversation to have. And especially as former collegiate athletes, never once have I met one that's like, no, no, there should be, there should be males participating in female sports. So are you, are you finding that, that the more you kind of are, are boots on the ground, having these higher level conversations, are you leaving encouraged or do you feel exhausted that like scratching your head saying, I don't know where this rhetoric is coming from? I feel so encouraged. The support um is tenfold anything negative and again it goes back to this being common sense this this issue it really has no sustainability and i think i think your common sense americans know this and so i feel more encouraged every day um i think that's because when i first started speaking out a lot of the thanks and gratitude that i was getting were private messages or people who would come up to me in public and whisper hey thank you for doing what you're doing but that whisper is getting louder and louder and the messages are becoming public. And so that that does encourage me. Um, talking to you guys who who feel this way and are willing to, unfortunately, put yourselves at jeopardy and your company at jeopardy, that encourages me. Um, and so I certainly feel the support. Um, and I, I think, again, that's only going to continue moving forward. Well, I think it was said in your uh, podcast with Tulsi Gabbard and this I was actually this morning <laughs> as I was doing back squats this came in I was listening I was tuning in trying to prep for this and uh it, it, it was either you or Tulsi had said courage is contagious right yeah and um that hit hard because that is so true and I, I think that perfectly summarizes kind of the the situation we're in right now in in, in people like you are the, are the ones that tip that first domino and that's the scariest one because in the beginning you're all alone and there's potential backlash and 
you seem mature well beyond your years. So it, it appears that at least maybe on the surface that you didn't let that hate speech get to you. I, I read, you know, she was right. reading, Tulsi was reading some of the DMs you were getting and we won't even read them on here. They're absolutely horrific. And, um, you know, for a young woman to have to endure that, uh, I think a lot of women that maybe weren't ultra confident and strong willed like you are, that could really get to them. And I, that would, could have a severe effect on their mental health, particularly when they're getting the image and stuff, which is totally ridiculous um, when they're saying stuff like that. And hopefully you just brush that off um, because for obvious reasons. But, um, but to, you know, to be able to withstand that and, and hold your ground and then little by little people start joining you and you're talking with governors. Now, how old are you? I'm 23. I just right. turned 23. So you and Jordy, who's what's Jordy? 21, yes. maybe. Yeah. We got yeah. a 23 year old and a 21 year old woman talking with the governor and influencing legislation on, on a national level. I mean, how awesome is that? And that should inspire the rest of us to, you know, not be afraid to vocalize our viewpoints and stand up for what we believe. And again, I, I think this is one of those things. I, I don't want to become guilty of what what I would say the other side is doing is being intolerant. You know what I mean? Like, let's not, let's not fall for that trap. Let's try to hear other viewpoints. But if, if something like this, that's so common sense, it's not something I'm willing to meet someone halfway on no chance. Exactly. You know what I mean? There are some things that it's like, okay, complicated arguments. There's some political, you know, debates that of course it's like, all right, there are two sides of this and I get there's nuances to it and let's have an intellectual conversation. And then maybe at the end we agree to disagree, but we don't have to hate each other. Something like this, I don't think that's one of those things, right? Fairness in women's sports with biological men. And I've thought about this is like, how do we beat them in their own game? You know, you beat them in their own game. Totally. You convince every national ranked male swimmer on the same day to proclaim next year I'm competing in the women's division. That would be so awesome. Right? And, we're, and, and the top 100 men are going to get first through 100th. It's not even going to be close, right? What are you going to exactly. do now? What are you going to, are, are none of those women ever now? You know, where's the line? You know what I mean? What, how drastic do we have to do something to make it to exemplify how ridiculous this all is, right? What's next? UFC? Are you, you going to let a, 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 a guy compete in the octagon with a woman, right? Or is that not allowed because it's a safety issue? But, oh, if it's a sport where they can just destroy the competition, it's allowed. You know what I mean? Like, we need to show them how ridiculous this ambiguous line is. <laughs> and right. Hopefully we don't have to get there, but I'm just wondering, like almost in a sarcastic way, how can you beat them in their own game to just expose just the hypocrisy and the, how outrageous all of this is. Um, but uh, it's so well put And, and you know, one of the ones I want to call out, and this is, this is epic. Um, we got, we got old boy, Keith Olbermann over here. Um, <laughs> tweeting at you. I mean, I don't, I don't know how old he is probably in his sixties. <laughs> and <laughs> responding to you, he said, can you, this is on Twitter or X now, can you just address the reality and move past it? You sucked at swimming. That's why you lost. Next tweet. Second team all conference. Happily for nasty, stupid, unsuccessful transphobe Riley Gaines, she has no reputation to ruin. And you... <laughs> <laughs> you responded, I believe, with a, a video showing him all of your trophies. And, uh, you know, for those that caught the intro, Riley is a 12 times All-American. So there, there really needs to be no defense. And it's so outrageous. You know, I think second team All-Conference, that was probably when you were like a junior or excuse me, a sophomore. That was when I was a freshman. freshman. <laughs> yeah. And, and for those that have competed in collegiate sports, as a freshman to get second team All-Conference is incredible. You know, like in, when I played football, just to get on the field as a freshman was wild. You definitely weren't getting second team All-Conference. You know what I mean? So like, it's, it's so ridiculous that he's going back to your freshman year to grab something. And it's like, all right, dude, yeah, 12 times All-American, I'm, I'm doing okay. But like when things like that started coming down that were a bit more public from kind of public figures, was it any different? Did it fire you up even more? You, I mean, you clap back at him. I love it. Um, but like walk us through that a little bit. Most of the time I let it slide, right? When politicians or whoever wants to personally attack me, um, I just let them because really it only gives me more credibility and notoriety when they do that because people can see how unhinged someone like Keith Olbermann looks, uh, someone who can't even seem to keep a job for any amount of time. Um, and But the, the difference between him, why I felt compelled to really say something back, and again, which I normally don't, um, he was an ESPN reporter. 
he's someone who doesn't have the excuse of not understanding sports. Sometimes I'll say, okay, maybe they just don't understand how sports works, you know, uh, whatever. I understand sports isn't everyone, everyone's thing, but he covered sports. He knows the difference between men and women and in great detail. And so I thought to myself, okay, I, I don't know if I can let this one slide. I, I think I have to make a kind of comical video back. And so in this video where my purpose was, you know, he claimed I was a second team All-American, which I'm a first team All-American. And so I, I had my my trophy. And as I was making this video, I had dropped the glass trophy and it, it had broken. And so it was pretty cool afterwards because the SEC saw this video and they had reached out to me and they were like, we want to send you a new trophy. We're so sorry that happened while you were trying to defend yourself against some old man who's for some reason t attacking like a 20 year old girl. Uh, please let us remake you your trophy, which I thought was just kind of hilarious, which again, I don't even care about the the trophy. I could have cared less that it dropped. Um, but I think that just goes to show you that people are watching what people like Keith Olbermann are doing and they see this and it is comical. I feel like we've gotten to this point where you can't even di differentiate between like a, a Babylon Bee headline versus like real news. <laughs> and so it's kind of entertainment. Honestly, it was entertainment for me. I had a lot of people comment, you know, like, don't stoop to his level. Like, you don't need to prove yourself. I'm like, I know I don't necessarily need to, but it's kind of fun. So. <laughs> yeah, and once again, it's like, where are the feminists, right? In any other situation, you have a 70 year old dude bullying a 23 year old woman on a public forum with a you know guy that has a very big reach you know what i mean they'd be up in arms and then in this case nope she, she gets has to fend for herself we deserve it we're gonna sit that one out uh it just it doesn't add up and it doesn't make any sense um so obviously this has been a, a roller coaster i would imagine since you graduated What's next for you? What does the future hold? I'm guessing your vision for the future is much different than it probably did look a year and a half ago. So what are your goals? What are your aspirations? And what's on the horizon? So I have deferred dental school for a little bit, um, which they were kind enough. I, I was in this crossroads, you know, what do I do? Do I go with the plans that I had made? Or do I kind of trust the direction that I feel like God is leading me in which which way do I go here? And so I ended up calling the dental school again. I'd already put my deposit down. I was I was ready to go. And I told them, you know, look, this is my dilemma. And they said, Riley, stop. Uh, we know who you are. Uh, we know what you do. And they said, we love what you do. So we will hold your spot for whenever you want to come. You're welcome here. You're, you, you are a shoe in uh, whenever you want to come. So that was kind of a reassuring thought. That was kind of like a God wink to me. Um, assuring me that dental school will always be there. And so I'm going to continue fighting for this again in whatever capacity that looks like. Um, I have just launched the Riley Gaines Center with the Leadership Institute. And what this is, um, again, I, I knew I wanted to make impact, but I know I can't do it alone. We need more influential leaders, uh, whether that's school board whether that's campus, whether that's on a team, whether that's even coaches, parents, whatever that is, we need more more leaders. And I think that's something we can all really agree on. Um, and so I developed the Riley Gaines Center. What this center is, it is a training program, essentially. We have a training session today with some athletes and some, some different people. Um, it's a training program where you become equipped with the resources and the support and the effective communication tools and different things um, to talk about these issues on a larger scale. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. Uh, we need, again, just more people to feel inspired and, and to know that we're in the majority. And so hopefully that's what this center will do. Um, it's also going to fund to put conservative speakers on college campuses. Again, not to make anything political, but I think, the actually I'm certain that the freedom of speech on college campuses is dwindling for people like myself um, with the views that I have, um, which is, again, a pretty scary thought, especially institutions of higher education like the Ivy Leagues, like you mentioned. Um, they're not even allowed to refer to themselves as freshmen anymore because that is not gender inclusive. Oh. They have to call themselves first years. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy the stuff that is happening. 
Um, and so because of this, putting speakers on college campuses to speak to these issues, I spoke at Western Virginia University last night, um, but speakers other than myself more, um, whether that's physicians, whatever that might be, uh, to help generate these conversations. And you just launched a podcast. I did. How's yes, that going? I launched... Yeah, it's really exciting. I uh, launched a, pod a podcast through Outkick. It's called Gains for Girls. Um, really cool, you know, talking to policymakers, talking to medical professionals, talking to parents, talking to people who have taken a stand, people who have been affected by these cultural issues that seem to be plaguing America. Um, so really, really awesome stuff. It's It's interesting to be on the other side of it and to be able to probe other people and to get information out of them and to see, you know, the differences and um, the similarities that our stories have in, in topics that aren't even really the same, but just how they coincide. I think it gives people a better understanding, again, of the bigger picture um, and the parallels between the different things. And so it's been a lot of fun. I'm going to continue doing that as well. Uh, so so lots of fun, cool things ahead. There's a book on the horizon, which is, again, some pretty cool stuff. So, so lots of things going on. Uh, as I mentioned too, being married, um, having two amazing little dogs of my own, uh, it's a lot to keep up with, but I have found myself enjoying the fast pace of it all. Absolutely. And you're in Nashville, right? I am, yeah. uh, which it seems everyone is moving to Nashville. Hot spot. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's, I love it there. Tony, you got any more questions for Riley? I just got a few more things, but I want to kick it over to you if you got anything. No, I was just going to close out with like how, how inspiring your kind of journey has been and, and how much respect I know myself and then some people close uh, to me have for you. So, yeah, that's that's my only closing thoughts for you. And, and Riley, well, I for, appreciate that. for me, you know, to, to echo his point, I just want to thank you for coming on. And I did a, a post like last week. I don't know if you saw it. I, th I think I tagged you. It was just a story showing like prep in the studio for, you know, Riley Gaines. And we got so many comments of people thinking you were coming in the studio that were like, oh. oh, can we meet at HQ and this? And I was like, no, it's virtual, like relax, but maybe down the road, we'll get you here. So it was so oh, cool man. to see the, just the, the crazy um, amount of messages we got just teasing that this was going to happen. And for us, you know, about 70% of our customers are women. Um, and, uh, I think well over 70% of our employees are women. So we're, we're the fellows were a little bit outnumbered here at Born Primitive. So while you have these two knuckle draggers running the podcast behind the scenes, you know, we are base of, of, you know, basically a female dominated company and they, we have a bunch of just badasses that um, do incredible things and it's been cool to see it develop. So for us, you know, it's important that we have a voice for women as well. Even, you know, it's much better told through a voice like you, not me and Tony, but to at least be able to facilitate this. And just to extract like a couple of themes from what we talked about as kind of takeaways is, you know, for, as, as men, we need to step up, right? We are biologically wired to protect and we need to stop being silent and sitting on the sidelines and letting 23-year-old courageous women like you fight our battles because, you know, that, that is part of our, our job, I think, is to protect women. And hopefully for those listening, this is a little bit of a wake-up call that it is okay um, to you know, vocalize your viewpoints and stand up for what you believe in. And um, particularly for things in my mind that are so obvious, we can't let that slippery slope occur and we get to the point where how the hell do we get here? And, and I think you're right. I think there's a correction happening. You mentioned Bud Light, you mentioned Target. The reason those happen is because you could silently boycott like a Bud Light or a Target and you don't have to tell anyone, right? So there's no risk of backlash. You just go to Walmart instead of Target and you get Miller Lite instead of Bud Light, right? No one actually has to see it. So it immediately went into effect because finally people had the opportunity to actually, you know, have a, a, a micro impact on, on what was occurring. Um, and, I, and I think that will cause a correction on a lot of corporations because they saw those two case studies and they're saying, all right, avoid that. We do not want to lose $20 billion in our enterprise value because of some maybe fringe stance that 99% of the people aren't that concerned about. So I think to your point, there will be a correction. And hopefully at the end of the day, common sense should rule. You know what I mean? It isn't complicated. Sure. We don't need to be divided all the time. I also think we shouldn't let politicians and the media divide us, right? So I think a lot of times we probably agree more than we realize, but you're exposed to extreme viewpoints and it just creates this giant argument. And it's like, guys, let's, 
let's all, you know, put our swords down and, and relax a little bit. And let's just all try to pursue our own version of happiness, whatever that is. But like I said earlier, as soon as it gets in the way of somebody else in a significant fashion, that's when a conversation needs to be had. And that's where we need to set boundaries. Um, so, so thank you again so much. And for anyone listening, you know, we mentioned kind of getting canceled. I would imagine this one probably will, will trigger all kinds of red flags and bells up at Zuckerberg world and, and Instagram and Facebook and wherever else YouTube for sure. Um, so if you want to help us out when we post about this on Instagram, please like it, share it, subscribe, rate our YouTube channel, our, our Spotify, Apple, all those things. The more you engage, the more we can defeat this algorithm and, uh, and Riley, you know, to you, just know you will always have an ally with Born Primitive. And, you know, I definitely want, you know, use us as a resource, you know, and, and I, I'm, this is just me thinking this in real time. Next year for International Women's Day, it would be cool to, really cool to do something with, you know, maybe a charity that you want to support. You know, maybe we could donate 100% of profits on that day from the website to any cause of your choice. I think that would be really cool. So I know we're a ways out, but okay. plant that seed. We will be here um, to support you and just know you're not alone. I think you now know that, but in the beginning, maybe you thought that. And we're inspired. I'm amped up. Um, and, and thank you so much for coming on the Born Primitive podcast. Well, you guys rock. And again, I couldn't be more grateful for you. I feel like I should apologize that I'm like, could potentially hurt the podcast and the different <laughs> things. But seriously, I, I couldn't be more grateful for you guys. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, awesome. Well, good luck with everything, Riley. Don't be a stranger. Obviously, you got Claire as a POC, but you know, direct line to me and Tony. Any anything you ever need, if you need gear, apparel, if your family does, hit us up. We'd be happy to make that happen. And good luck with everything. We're going to be following you. Um, I can't wait to see what the future has in store for you. You're you're wise beyond your years, and I know you're going to be doing great things. Well, I appreciate that a lot. So, thank you, guys.